continuing our journey around different schools of Indian philosophy, we are now at the yoga philosophy. And I'm sure even if you know nothing about Indian philosophy, but if you know something about India, you'd probably associate it with the idea of yoga. There are millions of people out there in the world who practice yoga and uh, perhaps you are one of them too. And uh, that's, a, that's a really good thing. However, most of the people who practice yoga, they treat it as some kind of exercise routine without really caring about the underlying philosophy of yoga. And that, in my view, is more like smelling a cup of coffee and not really drinking it. If you don't understand the essence, the underlying idea of yoga and just keep doing the asanas, the physical practices, then we might miss out on the real thing, the real philosophy of it. So that's what we are going to talk today in this podcast. So let's start from the basics. Previously, we've discussed various non-theistic schools of Indian philosophy, that is, which reject the authority of Vedas or in some ways the idea of God. Now, when we talk about the yoga philosophy, the school of philosophy, we move towards slightly the orthodox schools of Indian philosophy. That is, now we begin to accept the authority of the Vedas. And uh, this yoga philosophy, it also accepts the idea of a universal soul or the idea of God, which is not really there in, say, Jainism or Buddhism. It's also interesting that uh, this idea of God in yoga philosophy, it's very much this dualist conception of God. Unlike Vedanta, for example, where you find the non-dualist version of God. Or let's say in Samkhya philosophy, for example, where you have multiple Purushas, not one supreme God. But here, much like, uh, say, Christianity or Islam, you find this dualist conception of God. That is, there is God that is separate from other beings. It is at some higher pedestal than the rest of us. As you probably know, in Indian philosophy, we have these generally two fundamental realities that we talk about. One is the Purusha and the other is Prakriti. Now, Purusha means pure consciousness and Prakriti means the matter, the nature, all the physical world that is made up of. This is Prakriti. But behind this, in all of this, in fact, you'll find uh, some kind of consciousness in life forms. There is a subjective feeling to everything in the matter. 
to every animal, every plant, every living being. Even in some cases, what we consider non-living things, say water, earth, even there, sometimes it is considered to have some kind of consciousness. So when these two interact with each other, we experience the world as it is, that is, the subjective and the objective world. So when we talk about the yoga philosophy, the underlying belief is that there is supreme purusha. In Samkhya, what you find is there are multiple purushas. There are multiple superior souls or consciousness. But in this case, we assume that there is just one higher than the rest. And the reason I'm, I'm repeating this point is, is because I've seen a lot of Christians and Muslims, they are a little hesitant in uh, following the yoga routine because sometimes they claim this is a part of the Hindu tradition which it is in some ways and therefore it goes against their religion but the point is the conception of uh, the yoga philosophy at least what we find in Patanjali Yoga Sutra which is the main text of yoga philosophy this conception is very similar to most of these religious traditions and therefore you should not have an issue while practicing yoga. It does not go really go against your religious beliefs. And uh, so when we come to this idea of Indian philosophy and when we talk about the idea of Prakriti, that is nature, the matter, and it is evolving, the there is Big Bang, it happened, then the evolution of life on earth. All these things, they can be very well accommodated in this, in this idea. Because then you don't really have to claim that God created the universe in such and such time. What you can suggest is there is nature which is separately at work and uh, there is evolution taking place, there is nature working on its own. But what generally is said in these circumstances is there is some kind of guiding force behind it. So for example, there is evolution going on, there is some progress going on of the matter, but the force behind it is that of Purusha or you can call it the idea of God. Now, coming back to the basic ideas of the yoga philosophy, first of all, we have to understand that in these different schools of Indian philosophy, the underlying idea is that we should overcome suffering. We must strive to overcome suffering in this world or the after. And generally, the approach is that we should seek the truth, we should seek knowledge. And that's a very interesting idea, that true knowledge, a great knowledge, it actually liberates you, it heals you. So that is really an inspiring message, that knowledge is not something that makes you anxious, it doesn't scare you. In fact, it liberates you, it empowers you. And that's why 
we should seek knowledge in different forms and that is what really yoga does to you you practice certain things in your life and through them whether it is certain postures certain meditations certain worships rituals you're seeking different forms of knowledge and through them you're improving your life and that's the ultimate goal to overcome all the sufferings now let's talk about the most important part that is the yoga and how the yoga sutras of patanjali which is a really really short work but uh, it's quite complex when you get to the depths of it and uh, i would recommend there are there are a number of books with commentaries available there so you can pick any one of your choice pretty much every yoga guru that you would follow they have written a commentary over it so you you can pick the one which which works for you and you can go through these uh, yoga sutras of patanjali so i'm going to briefly discuss here what this work contains so it has four parts or four padas the first part is called the samadhi pada which is more like a general introduction to the to the idea of nature um and methods of yoga in different forms and then we have the second part called sadhana pada which mostly talks about the analysis of suffering what causes it how can we eliminate it and how even karma affects it and then we have the third part which is called vib- vibhuti pada here we deal with yoga psychology and even certain paranormal phenomenon which is something that a lot of people find interesting some even reject it because here we are talking about some kind of supernatural powers and the fourth and the final part is about kevalya pada which is mostly about moksha or in english we call it liberation and how the soul can actually transcend this world so these are the different sections of uh, patanjali yoga sutras so while this text is really brief but it gets into the depths of this yoga philosophy and the author also outlines eight limbs of yoga or eight stages which is called which are called as ashtanga yoga and these eight stages are generally recommended if you are seeking this path of liberation and that is something i wanted to emphasize on because a lot of us what we do is we think that we are doing certain asanas and that thing is done yoga is complete for us but yoga is much more than that it suggests a whole lifestyle for you how you're going to live what kind of life you're going to live how you're going to pray 
how you you're going to treat others other living creatures and all that it's it's much larger than than mere postures or exercises so the first couple of limbs or first two stages they talk about the yamas and niyamas which are mostly about the ethical principles with which you live your life that is you have to be compassionate you have to be loving and kind and you need certain discipline in your life it can't be that you are doing your yoga practice that is you are doing those sessions and then after the session once it is over then you are being rude to somebody that defeats the whole purpose of your of yoga so when we talk about yamas we are essentially talking about restraint or some kind of moral discipline and there are five yamas that patanjali recommends in his sutras the first one is ahimsa which you probably know uh, it's the idea of non-violence but non-violence not just in terms of your actions but also in your thoughts in your words in everything you shouldn't even think about harming others that's the idea of ahimsa then the next yama is satya that is being truthful you should always tell the truth then the next idea is about non stealing you shouldn't steal anything then the brahmacharya or celibacy in some ways or at least the right use of your energy your sexual energy even and finally patanjali tells us to not be greedy so once we have these certain moral codes with us then we can talk about the niyamas which are more about certain positive duties that we should follow in our lives one of them is cleanliness we should be very particular about the cleanliness then the next one is about contentment which is also called as santosha then there is the idea of tapas which is translated into austerity or discipline then we have the idea of swadhyaya that is the study of the self the study of different religious texts and then he talks about worshiping god that is surrender to a higher being and uh, in yoga you'll find that the idea of god the idea of higher being it is not shared with the idea with some kind of dogmatism in it the idea is to make yoga more practical to make it more effective and uh, you'd find that this idea of surrendering to higher higher consciousness or to god really serves the practical purposes it improves your life but remember right now of all those eight sections eight parts of yoga we were just talking about the first two parts the yamas and the niyamas then come in the third stage of yoga 
the physical exercises, the asanas. And of course, this is where we mostly focus on these days. We think yoga is mostly about asanas, our postures, the physical practice. This is the third stage of yoga. Then the fourth stage, which is pranayama. Here we do breathing exercises. For example, many of you might be practicing things like anulom vilom. That is a part of pranayama. Then the idea of pratyahara or withdrawal. And here we are generally talking about withdrawal of the senses. That you don't really get distracted by your senses and instead you can focus on the deeper self. And then in the next three stages or the final three stages, we talk about the yoga meditations. These are three different meditations. One is dharana, then dhyana. Dharana is concentration. Dhyana is um, meditation, but uh, a step ahead of concentration. And then we have the idea of samadhi, which is also sometimes referred to as union with God. And in fact, when you see the idea of yoga, or the literal meaning of it, that is it, the union. That is what we are trying to achieve here, the union with the God. And it has different stages. First of all, it is the union of your own body. You work on your body parts. You don't really focus on one body part over the other. You don't really work on... Uh, building really heavy upper body strength and neglecting the lower body parts. No, you don't do that. You work on the union of it. And once you have that, you work on the union of your body and your mind so that you're comfortable within yourself. You're at peace. And then you work on the union with the rest of the world, with your surroundings. You're at peace with others. You maintain good relationships. Not just with human beings, you maintain good relationships with, with uh, nature, with other animals. So slowly, step by step, working on yourself, you work on this union. And ultimately, the idea is to build this union with the God. And that can only happen if you can work in a step by step manner. And that is why... Yoga is a very, very systematic and sophisticated way to achieve this. Like you work on very simple things. For example, you work on your posture. You align yourself. You feel good. And slowly and slowly you work on different aspects of your life. And then you get to the union part. Now, in this final section of this podcast, I'm going to briefly talk about the three key parts of the meditations, the meditations that are recommended in the yoga philosophy. So, first of these three meditations is dharana. Here, we work on concentration. So, what we do is, through concentration, 
you're confining the mind within a limited mental or psychological area for example you have an object of concentration let's say you are meditating on your breath so the object of concentration here is the breath you're focusing on your breath but if you have practiced this kind of meditation you would understand that what happens is you try to concentrate on your breath when you close your eyes and then your mind gets distracted to different thoughts and then it is recommended that every time you get distracted you keep coming back to the breath so you get distracted a few seconds later once again you keep coming back to the breath so the idea here is you're going to get distracted but once again you'll come back to the object of concentration this is what we do in dharana dhyana the next step in that we go a step further here we really really reduce our distractions and we just keep our focus on that one object whatever it is it can be any object it can be your breath it can be some color in your mind you concentrate on it and uh, unlike the previous step where your mind was getting distracted in this stage what we do is there is you and there is the object of meditation nothing in between no other thought no other distraction mind does not shift from one thought to another one idea to another there's a direct bridge between your mind and that object of meditation that is what we achieve in dhyana and the final stage is that of samadhi now what we do is something quite interesting now in the previous step what we had was two things you and the object of meditation that is the subject and the object nothing else in this case we remove the subject also that is generally when you focus on every anything what you feel is there is this sense of awareness the sense of self when you are focusing on something you're looking at something you are aware of that particular thing but you are also aware of yourself there is this feeling of awareness of yourself we get rid of this feeling in samadhi there's only the subject there's only that and the object really shines forth in the absence of the subject that's the goal here now it's interesting that uh, the same approach we follow in many buddhist meditations and here also we are following pretty much the same approach but in buddhism we through this approach this approach of meditations step by step we come to the conclusion that there is no self 
But in this case, we don't come to the same conclusion. We come to the conclusion that there is a self and in fact there is a higher self on which we can truly meditate. And uh, when we get rid of these distractions due to our sense organs, due to our own uh, limitations or inadequacies, when we overcome these things, eventually what we witness is the Supreme Self. And that is the union we are talking about here. So in Buddhist philosophy, what we are saying is there is no union as such. We are overcoming this idea of self and that gives us liberation. In yoga philosophy, what we are saying is there is the union with the ultimate God. That is what is liberating us. So that's, that's really a small difference, although much of the meditations remain same. But that's a crucial difference. And this all, in fact, all the conversation that I've had so far, it's still the tip of the iceberg when we talk about the yoga philosophy. If you want to dive deeper into this idea, you should check this text by Patanjali, which is the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And as I said, there are so many commentaries available. So that's all for the yoga philosophy today. And in the next episode, we'll move on to the next school of Indian philosophy.